0: Good morning, everyone, how are you doing? (laughs) Well, today we're looking at the second part Of our eyewitness accounts, our new series called "My Story" eyewitness accounts, and these are encounters that people had with Jesus. And looking at why some people were named and some people weren't, and we've often found here. We're going to look in the series how named people have a story to tell, and they were known by the early church, and so people knew them. They told their story to their friends around them, and their legacy or the authenticity of their story carried on for the whole of their lifetime and beyond because the people who knew them and knew their story. And so this week, we're looking at, again, at Jesus followers and their authentic, personal story and looking at the impact of why some people were named. So this week, we're going to be looking at the women on Jesus' team or the women disciples, and particularly the named women, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Susanna. And we're going to look at why are these women named and some of the others aren't. Okay, ready for this? Great, part two. So firstly, we know that Jesus had a wider team than just the 12. And sometimes maybe through um, art or films or what we've learned in Sunday school, we might have an idea of Jesus wandering around Palestine with just 12 men. But if you look through the scripture, you find that he had He did have the 12, and sometimes he just did things with the three, but he also had a wider team who were like a close team he traveled with, and they did life together. And then there was a larger crowd of disciples, and then there was all the followers, and then there was the watchers. And so it kind of goes out in uh, these uh, different teams that he had. And so we know from the Bible that this close team around Jesus included women disciples. So we're going to look at just a few verses, but um, what I'd encourage you to do next time you read through the Gospels, look who was there. Sometimes we take it for granted when we read it, but when you're reading through the Gospel stories, have a look who was actually there. And this is a, a few examples. So if you remember in Luke 6, verse 12, Jesus spent the night praying up the mountain. And when he came back down the mountain, Luke 6, 13 says... When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. So can you see there was a bigger group than the 12. Out of the group, he chose 12. So already you can see there's this wider team. In Luke 10, 1 to 20, we know there that Jesus appoints the 72. And so out of his larger group of followers of disciples, he was able to pick 72. In Luke 24, verse 9, when the women come back from the tomb and they're sharing the amazing news that Jesus has resurrected, it says, they told all these things to the 11, because of course Judas are gone now, so it's not 12, it's 11, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. And this is evidence of there being a wider team than just the 12. Do you remember on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, 33, there's that pair, they walk away from Jerusalem, they have this encounter with Jesus, they bomb back to Jerusalem, and it says there they found the 11 and those with them assembled together. So can you see it's subtle, but it's right there in the text that there's this bigger team traveling and working with Jesus. Remember in Acts 1, 15, Um, after uh, Jesus has ascended back to heaven, the disciples are waiting for that encounter with the Holy Spirit. And it says, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. So can you see in these early days, there's already that group of 120. Plus, we know there's a larger crowd of disciples, those who would call themselves Jesus followers, not just people who turned up in a crowd or had a day off work and decided what to see, but there was this crowd of disciples following him. In Luke 6, 17, you remember the Sermon on the Mount? It says, a large crowd of his disciples were there and a great number of people from all over. And can you see there's a distinction between the crowd and a large crowd of his disciples? Yes, so it's important as we go through this uh talk to just establish what the bible says here and lastly do you remember when jesus enters jerusalem with that triumphant procession it says the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise god in loud voices and so we know that jerusalem was full of tourists and people who come for the feast there's thousands of people there and in those thousands of people watching on wondering what's happening there is a crowd of disciples joyfully praising God with a loud voice. And so that's just to establish that we know that Jesus, he's got the 12 disciples, but he travels with this wider but personal team that he does life with. And there are women disciples who are part of this group, both named and unnamed. And that's what we're going to look at now. Once you see this in Scripture, you can never unsee it, that they were there as well. And this is what I kind of like about, you know, the new series, The Chosen. If you haven't downloaded and and watched that, I think you'd really enjoy it. And how they 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 include the women in the group. Okay, so we're going to look at Luke 8, and this is a significant passage, and we're going to come back to Luke 8 several times. So when we read this passage now, Luke 8, try and remember what it's about. So later on, when I refer to in Luke 8, you'll remember, oh, this is the passage, okay? So this is the significant one, Luke 8. Okay. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. Can you see here the named women and the unnamed women? So there were many others, and some are named. We'll look at why later. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. These women were not just in the group, but they were supporting them financially. So we've got specific women and many others. And this group have been traveling from town to village, helping to support the group out of their own means, and disciples of Jesus there in the group, the named ones and the unnamed ones. So who are these named ladies? Well, we don't really know much about them. But the first one, Mary Magdalene. Now, she crops up a lot in Scripture. And it seems like whenever something happens, she is there. And she's recorded often as being there at key times. And Jesus had set her free from seven demons. And when it says... um, set free from seven demons and other women from diseases. We don't know if she had diseases as well, but we can see that Mary was really suffering. When somebody uh, would be um, struggling with uh, having demons in their life, that could be um, uh, spirits of fear, uh, sexual spirits, spirits of condemnation, jealousy, um, any kind of oppression that she's living with this locked up all the time and jesus comes into her life and frees her from these seven demons and her life is totally changed and she becomes this deeply committed faithful follower of jesus and it's amazing her name mary magdalene they used to think that magdalene was named after the town magda but archaeologists since have found that that town didn't exist in her lifetime but actually magdalene means tower And it did seem to be Jesus' way to give nicknames to his disciples. And we wonder if Jesus said, well, now you're no longer crushed, but you're a tower. I mean, it's just a thought. And so she's recorded many times, and we see her there faithfully and at key events. The second one who's mentioned, Joanna. Now, Joanna and Susanna are only mentioned in Luke, and we don't know anything about them apart from this passage. And Joanna is the wife of Chusa, and he's the manager of Herod's household. Now, we don't know if he's a believer or not, but this is a dangerous thing, because Herod, you remember, beheaded John the Baptist. And so here is Chusa working as the manager of Herod's household, and his wife has like packed up and gone You know, following Jesus, supporting Jesus, you know, maybe he was on board with this and he was a secret disciple too. But we see her just risking this dangerous position to go all out and sacrificially follow Jesus with her time and her finances, amazing. And then Susanna, again, we don't know anything about her except that she was there, she's counted, and she gave and she supported Jesus. We're gonna find out later why their names are so important. And then number four, it says, and many others. So many others with no name who were following Jesus, part of the crowd. Isn't that great to know that men and women were part of this? Isn't that so Jesus that it's men and women? And these disciples had like a closeness to Jesus, traveling with him. you imagine what was that like? To be setting up camp, uh, to be breaking down camp, to walking around, to seeing miracles, to being together, listening to his teaching, they never heard anything like it, to seeing the signs and wonders. And also we see sometimes, do you remember when Jesus just privately takes his disciples away to school them? Perhaps something is misunderstood or he explains a teaching. And I love the occasion with the women where we can see how the women were included in this close group. Because do you remember at the tomb, the angels come to the women and they say, Luke 24 verse 6, they say to the women, he's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you. Now this is significant because when Jesus told the disciples about his death, it's when the Bible records that he took his disciples aside to share with them what was going to happen in the future privately. So we can see that the women were included in this for the angels to say, remember he told you this would happen. And this example is in Luke 9 18. It says, once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he said, the son of man must suffer many things. He must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Many times Jesus kept trying to explain, drip feed to his disciples that this was going to take place. But it's great to see that the women were in that private, come aside and I'll explain as well. So what was it like for Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Susanna. They have this special and close relationship within the team. And I think we see a glimpse of the tenderness of it. When in John 20, he records when Mary meets Jesus, when Jesus is raised. Mary is the first person to see him. You remember that encounter? Everyone's gone. Mary's in the garden. She's weeping. Somebody comes. She thinks it's the gardener. He says, why are you weeping? She says, I don't know where they've taken my Lord. And then he just simply says, Mary. And that familiar voice, she says, teacher, rabbi. And there her teacher is alive. She is the first to see the risen Jesus. And just the tenderness in that moment of how he comes to Mary Magdalene after all that has happened in her life, all that Jesus has freed her from, all the sacrifice in following him, that there she is in the garden, the first to see him. And I think we just see the tenderness in that relationship of this close team together. Now, we know that Jesus was radical for his day because in that culture, women were not esteemed um, and they, they had no rights and they were not esteemed. They were seen as very lowly. But Jesus just did not bow to culture because he created men and women and he created us and he created men and women equal. Every person of, is of equal value. And never mind the culture, but Jesus lived out that value every day. The way he spoke to women, the way he um, interacted with them, and he had them on team and I love the example in Luke 10 where it records how Jesus goes to Mary and Martha's house. And, uh, you know, he's gone there, there's a meal to be prepared. Martha gets stressed preparing it. And Mary, we see this picture, it records Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. And it's the picture of a disciple sat at the feet of a rabbi, and that's how the rabbis would teach. So the teachers, the religious leaders, they would teach and their disciples would be sat at their feet listening and absorbing the teaching. And here was Mary, this was a radical thing. There was Mary sat in the posture of a disciple, of her rabbi, of her teacher, receiving Jesus' teaching. So Mary gets a bit, Martha gets a bit stressed, and sort of nags Jesus that uh, Mary should get up and be helping. And Jesus is like, No, don't you realise the significance of this, Martha? You should be sat here too. You're one of my disciples too. Leave the washing up. Leave the dishes. Leave the cooking come and sit here mary has chosen the better portion can you see how radical this is and jesus says mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her And here is Jesus just flying in the face of all culture, and he broke these cultural barriers to make sure that everybody could be on team, women and men on the team. You look at his life, he ate with tax collectors who were seen as like the no-go area. He touched lepers that you weren't allowed to touch. Jesus' love for every person just broke through every barrier. And that gives us confidence with what Shaan was prophesying earlier today. Sometimes we discount ourselves. I'm not good enough. I'm not this. I'm not that. And Jesus just comes in with his love and breaks through every barrier to reach us. It's not about us trying and striving. It is all about that beautiful song that Beth sang to us about his mercy never fails us. It's there every time. Every time we turn to him, Lord, I have failed. Lord, I have sinned. Lord, I need your help. Lord, I am broken. And God just reaches in with his mercy. It never fails. And I love it how Paul later writes to the Galatian church and he's schooling the church and he's saying to them, look, I want you to understand, there's no barriers now, there's no division. It's not like this type of people and this type of people. No, we are all of value, we are all together. And in Galatians 3, 28, Paul teaches... There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. I love it how he carries on the message of Jesus. And in our Christianity and in our faith, in the world God made, there is no place for prejudice. There is no place for sexism or racism. It is unacceptable. Every person has equal value in Jesus' sight. And you and I, we need to live that just like Jesus. Never mind the cultural pressures. We live the kingdom culture like Jesus. Every person is of value. Now, in the old temple, when they built the temple, there were lots of different courts and walls that the outsiders, the Gentiles, were only allowed this far. The women were only allowed this far. And it's like in Jesus' life, in him living out this amazing life, he like broke through every wall, through every courtyard, Uh, metaphorically speaking. You know, he didn't just go and start banging the bricks down, but he broke through every single barrier. And then when he died on the cross, and that curtain that represents God to earth. It broke from top to bottom, like God just ripping it apart and saying, access all areas. Every person can come to me. And so let us make sure that we live that out day to day. There's no room for prejudice, labeling people. It's just unacceptable in the Christian life. So let's live a Jesus life that we live with value for every single person we encounter in our lives. And and to understand too that God gives us that value and significance, and stop thinking of ourselves so lowly, where Jesus just comes in, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive, I strengthen you, I strengthen you. There is Mary Magdalene, broken, and Jesus says, no, you're not broken. I have impacted your life, and you're now a tower. You are a strong tower. Okay, well, let's go on to why they were named. I got a little distracted there. (laughs) So uh, there is a significant reason why these women are named. And there's kind of two parts to this. So we'll look at the first part. Now, the first part of why these women are named is to establish them as eyewitnesses of Jesus' life and ministry. And this is really important. And we can see when Luke, who is a doctor and a historian, when he's creating his accurate historical record of the life of Jesus. He interviewed eyewitnesses, and from these interviews, he created his gospel. And in Luke 1, it says this, um, these things have been handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses. I myself, this is Luke speaking, have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, so you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And Luke is unique among the Gospels to mention these women by name early on in the Luke 8 passage. You know the one Jesus traveling towns and villages mentions the women and the others. And it's important that Luke is pointing out here the women were there from very early on and right to the end. And this is because Luke is using like a literary device called inclusio. Now, don't let this put you off. It's just like brackets. I'm going to explain it. But this literary device, the purpose of it was that the reader would understand who was there at the beginning, who was there at the end, and that made them a credible witness because they were there for the whole period. Now, many years ago, our dear friend Kevin and his lovely partner Bethan, they got married and we had to travel up to North Wales to go and see their wedding. And as we got up to North Wales and parked the car, this was like many years ago, J- Julian noticed a guitar shop. He loves guitars. And there was a guitar he'd always wanted in the shop. And he's like, do you think we've got time to get this guitar? And I'm like... Well, it's pretty close. So he could, but we're in North Wales, we're never going to come back. The shop is only open on a Saturday. We go in, he tries out the guitar, we buy the guitar, we put it in the car. We arrive at the wedding, and we arrive quietly in the back as they say, You may kiss the bride. Ah. Now, I'm sure the other eyewitnesses heard them say the vows, but I never did. I'm not a credible eyewitness to them getting married. I saw them kiss after, but I never heard the I do's. So I wouldn't be a credible witness that Bethan and Kevin are actually married. I'm sure they are, but you get the point. And so Luke is showing that the women were there right at the start all the way to the end as credible witnesses. And this this literary device is called inclusio. And it's a principle of the eyewitness being there from the very beginning, not at the kiss the bride. And it was who was qualified to tell the story. Now in John 15, Jesus himself says to his disciples, and you also must testify for you have been with me from the beginning. So this is really important. So we see this used especially in Mark, Luke, and John's Gospels. Let me give you a couple of examples. So in Mark's Gospel, for example, we know, don't we, that Mark's Gospel is Peter's words written down. And so Peter tells his story, Mark writes it down, that's what Mark's Gospel is. And so in the writing of it, Mark clearly shows that Peter's there at the beginning and he's there at the end. So in Mark 1:16, 16, it says, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, that is Peter, and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. So there it puts Peter right there at the beginning. And then at the end, in the penultimate verse of Mark's gospel, Mark records that the angel at the tomb says, but go tell his disciples and Peter. You see, he could have put that verse anywhere, but he puts it as the penultimate verse and Peter at the beginning. And so we see these kind of brackets that Peter is prominently first and last as the credible witness. So let's go to the next slide, Fee. There we are. So this is the inclusio. So Mark's gospel, Peter at the start, Peter at the end. It's like brackets to show he is the credible eyewitness of this account. And then in John's gospel, we see that the disciple Jesus loved, he's the one writing the gospel. So he's the primary witness. So he's mentioned at the beginning and at the end. But because he wants to give credit to Peter, Peter is mentioned very closely after John and just before him at the end. So if we see the brackets there, you can see in John's gospel, John at the beginning, John at the end, but very closely within that, Peter. And I love the rivalry between these two, that it's John's gospel, but he has to give credit to Peter as well. And so this was a device of the day to show that eyewitnesses were there from the start to the finish. And this is why The named women and the other women are so important in Luke's gospel because Luke places the women with their own inclusio. Can you see? So in Luke's gospel, Peter is first and last, but very closely within that, it is the women at the start and the women at the end showing that they were credible witnesses for the whole life of Jesus. That's clever, isn't it? And very interesting and explains why these women are mentioned in Luke chapter Eight well done, right there at the beginning, so he shows they're at the beginning and then they 're at the end of the resurrection, where specifically Mary and Joanna are mentioned making that inclusio so let 's go to the next slide, and we can see here that what Luke does is from Luke eight, that, that chapter we read all the way to luke twenty four those women are shown to be at the beginning and at the end as credible witnesses of Jesus' life and ministry. And we see that these women were disciples from the first, on team, included, not on the edges, not on the side, but right there in the team. It shows that we are all included in Jesus' team. We just say, yes, we want to follow you, Lord. We, we want to uh, just give our lives to you and follow you. And here they were from the early days qualified witnesses, disciples of Jesus. And then the second reason why the women are named is this, and this one is crucially important, and it's because the women were the witnesses of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Now, this is really important. This is the crux of our faith. Everything rests on Jesus actually being dead after the cross, being put into the tomb, and rising again. Our whole faith rests on that. And the women are the witnesses, the eyewitnesses to these things taking place. And so the role of the women as eyewitnesses to the cross, the burial, and the resurrection is absolutely critical to our Christian faith. And there they were at that key time. They see Jesus die, they see him laid in the tomb, and they see that that same tomb was found empty And the women were the sole witnesses, eyewitnesses, of these crucial events of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So they are essential witnesses to Jesus' life and his mission. Without the death, burial, and resurrection, our faith has no meaning. It's just following a good guide in a book. But Jesus came and he ripped up death. Because he had never sinned, he went to the grave. The grave couldn't hold him, and he rose again. And that is what makes Christianity different to every other faith, that there is power, because Jesus could not, be, he could not be, uh, stay in the grave. There is power, and that same resurrection power is what with, is within us. So it's not a code. It's not following a list of laws or pursuing levels of meditation. The Christian faith is all about the amazing power of God, expressed through love, coming and raising Jesus from the dead, that every one of us could have eternal life. Isn't that amazing? But it needed credible eyewitnesses, and who were they? They were the women. And we can see that naming them shows that they are essential to these historical events. They are not an anonymous group, but the gospels name them, and also implying that there are others there as well. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke they all record that Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, or sometimes called James and Joseph, were at all three events: the cross, the burial, and the empty tomb. And the women disciples—it they, they, is critical at this point that they are recorded—and that's because all the men had gone. The men had witnessed Jesus' life, but the men did not uh, witness the burial. They didn't witness the empty tomb until later, and we're not entirely sure how many of them witnessed the actual crucifixion. We know that only John was at the cross because the rest had fled, possibly watching at a distance. So let's look at some verses for this. Now we know that when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew records that all the disciples ran away, Matthew 26, then all the disciples deserted him and fled. So here is Jesus, just about to face the cross, a terrible illegal trial at night, and the disciples leave him. They run away and desert him, and he is alone. And the only person who stays is Peter, and do you remember, Peter follows at a distance, and he goes into the temple courts while that illegal trial is taking place. But then even Peter denies him, and do you remember, he gets recognized, he denies even knowing Jesus, the cock crows, and Peter runs away, and Jesus is alone. And Jesus went through all of that for us, but he did it alone with nobody there. And at the cross, we find only the women and John, the disciple Jesus loved. Now, why was John more brave than the others? Did John's love go further? I'm sure the disciples felt that if they turned up, they too would be arrested and crucified. Were the women just being brave? I don't think it was a place for women to be at the cross with all the soldiers and the shouting, and it was a terrible way to die, but they were faithfully there. Why weren't the men disciples there? Were they afraid? Was John less afraid? I don't know. But John 19 records this. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby he said to his mother dear woman here is your son and to the disciple here is your mother and from that time on this disciple took her into his home these are the only ones there now peter and john we you know later on run to the empty tomb after the women have told them although they still find it hard to believe and yet the women disciples who are a part of jesus team credible witnesses from the beginning to the end They are here at these crucial historic events that change the world. The women are here and recorded by name as having been there. And the synoptic gospels all record Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, being at all three events. Now, in addition, the other gospel writers, they include different people at these events. So Mark records Salome at the cross and at the empty tomb, but not at the burial. Matthew records the mother of the sons of Zebedee, James and John, being at the cross. And Luke records Joanna at the empty tomb. And this shows several things. Firstly, it shows that in the law, in Deuteronomy 19.15, any argument or dispute that needed to be solved required two to three witnesses. This wasn't just in the law, but any domestic disputes or disputes among neighbors or business required two to three witnesses. And so all three synoptic gospels have Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, that's the two witnesses, and some of them add a third, but they only add a third who they know were there. And this adds to the second reason really is that they are scrupulous. The gospel writers are scrupulous in only writing down the person they knew was there from an eyewitness firsthand testimony. And so it just adds credibility to the events. So let's look at just some of the scriptures that show you who was there at the time. So Matthew 27, 55, it says, many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. This blows me away Jesus goes to Jerusalem the women go to care for him and look after him and even when these horrific events take place they are still there among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Josephs and the mother of Zebedee's sons Mark as well says some women were watching from a distance among them Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and Salome and then we read this like heartbreaking account in Luke 23 where it says the Centurion, seeing what had happened praised god and said surely this was a righteous man and when all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place they beat their breasts and went away but all those who knew him including the women who had followed him from galilee stood at a distance watching these things and this is like the only clue that some of the men might have been there at a distance when it says All those who knew him were at a distance watching, maybe. And Luke also shows the women at the cross, but at this point, he chooses not to name them because do you remember with inclusio? If he mentions them now, the inclusio, the brackets start now. So he waits to include them by name to the resurrection. And so Luke says, now, uh, after after they found uh, Jesus, the empty tomb, now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. And then the burial. Who was there at the burial? We know it was only the women and Joseph of Arimathea. Now, why couldn't he be a credible witness? He could be a witness to the burial, but he wasn't there. We have no record of him there beginning to end. Matthew's account says this. As the evening approached, this is after the crucifixion, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body and Pilate ordered it that it would be given to him. Joseph took Jesus' body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and placed it in his own new tomb that had been cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. You could almost miss it, couldn't you? But there they are. They followed all the way to the tomb. Luke records the women had come with Jesus from Galilee, followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. There they are seeing that moment in the tomb. And Mark records, so Joseph brought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock, Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Can you see? Have you seen this before? When you read these accounts of what happens, why it's important that the women were there seeing the crucifixion, the dead body, the body being put in the tomb, and now the resurrection. In Matthew, it says, After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Mark records, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices they may go to anoint Jesus' body. And Luke 24 says this, Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. They went to anoint the body, found the tomb was empty. Isn't it amazing that these women, they travel with Jesus, they give up so much, they're sacrificial. They are the first to witness the resurrection and to communicate it to the others. And their named role is critical to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus because for these historic events, they were the sole eyewitnesses. Isn't that incredible? And the very core of our faith rests on these women's testimony. And they would have told their experience at the time to everyone around who they'd seen. It was recorded for us to read it. And for all their lives, they told that story. And their friends and their family and those that knew them told it afterwards. And here it is, their experience, the evidence that Jesus died on the cross for us. He was buried and he rose again. And what I like how... This ends with the Gospels. But when you move in Luke's account into Acts, it says this, and this is after Jesus' comeback, and for a period of weeks, he's been with the disciples. Now he's ascended to heaven. And just hear what it says here in Acts 1. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. It was a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And there they are, recorded they're still there they're still on team they're part of it the women disciples there to the end and beyond and then in the upper room it says when the day of pentecost came they were all together in one place and on that day on the day of pentecost when the holy spirit comes on them Peter stands up and he prophesies to the crowd. He preaches to the crowd and he includes this prophecy from Joel. And this prophecy from Joel shows how they have absorbed Jesus' teaching and they are there to the crowd and they they bring this value right there and then. Listen to this, Acts 2, 17 and 18. In the last days, God says, Peter preaches this to the crowd, I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons and sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And there he is carrying on the legacy right there in the early church. So as we end this talk, I hope, I know it's been a bit of a study, but I hope that it shows this This sense of like my story, it's more than my story, it's an eyewitness account. And you and I each have a story of things that God has done in our lives and changed us. Do we give God the glory for that? Do we share it with our friends? Do we let my story live on with those around us to show the authentic power of Jesus living in our lives? So Mary Magdalene, Joanna and Susanna, and the unnamed women, of course, let's just summarize what we learned from them. Firstly, Jesus impacted their lives, and they shared that impact. They were sacrificial in their following of him, in their time, what they gave up to do it, and financially. Now, I'm sure those women could spend their money on many other things. I'm sure there was many markets of beautiful things there in Jerusalem and in Palestine at that time, but no, they gave it to fund Jesus' ministry, They were devoted and tenacious. They would not give up. They were there even at the crucifixion, even watching the body laid in the tomb and at the resurrection. They didn't give up. They carried on. They dug deep. And at the end, they didn't run away. When all the other disciples ran away and left him, they stayed. They wouldn't abandon him. They were full of love, whatever the cost. They didn't give up. They just carried on that love and devotion to Jesus. And the lessons for us are this I feel today, to share our stories unafraid. Those women were not afraid. I mean, I'm sure they were afraid and did it anyway, but they had courage. Let us have courage to share. Let's be sacrificial followers, devoted to Jesus, and tenacious that we never give up, that we never give up. And I just want to finish on this last verse, When I was studying this talk, this verse isn't particularly to do with the talk. It is a little bit. I just felt God say to us that we're all going to face situations that are testing. And that's what happened to these women. Jesus came into their life, healed their diseases, freed them from demons. They were on team. They gave. They gave sacrificially. And yet, like an evil day came when their Lord was taken, beaten up, flogged, crucified, The worst thing they could possibly imagine. And they were still there in that evil day. They were still there. They didn't get up. They didn't give up. They stood. They carried on. They sat there watching him be put in the tomb. They're there at the resurrection. And for you and I, I felt God say this verse to us. To stand and to keep on standing and to keep on standing. And when you've done everything else, to keep on standing. That our love and our devotion for Jesus, to know he can take us from broken to being a strong tower. To know that every person, including you, has value. How we treat one another matters. But how Jesus comes to us with his strength. That in that moment of temptation, how we live, what we say, what we do. That Jesus helps us to stand. That we won't give up. We won't give up the race. We won't give up standing. So let's look at this verse as we finish. Ephesians 6.13 says this. This is speaking to us. This is Paul writing to the Ephesian church. but speaking to us as believers and disciples. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the evil day comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. Whatever you're going through today, know that God changes our brokenness into a tower and when the evil day comes, to stand. And having done all, to stand. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. And as we dig into it, we find so much more than we saw. We thank you, Lord, that there were men and women on your team, and you used them, and they supported you and loved you and cared for you. And I pray, Lord, you'll let this be a deep lesson to us, that every person who says, yes, Lord, count me in, that we are on team, that you count us in, not just as team, but as family, as brothers and sisters, as children of God. I pray, Lord, that you'll come by your Holy Spirit to every one of us who feels broken or um, confused right now, that you come and just like you did with those women, that you healed them and changed their lives. You come into our life that we become towers of strength. Help us, Lord, to stand in the battle, to stand and not give up with your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, thanks everyone.